Rogers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. After our final, Joe Patrick, do you ever pray to the content gods and just ask them for maybe just like one, one, one time, one time where you don't go into a bye week having to talk literally everyone off the ledge? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, I didn't even yes. know yes, if yes, I, I wanted Atlanta United to win so much as I wanted to not do exactly what we're about to do for an hour. Right. Right, right. And then we come off as like Pollyanna-ish because, but it's true, you know, <laughs> it, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. It's like, uh, it's like getting swept in, in against the Phillies yeah. in like freezing yeah. cold weather on the, mm-hmm. on the opening series, you know? Um, and then you go on to win a hundred games or something. That's just, <laughs> it's just how the sports work, I guess. Yeah. No, people will, will look a lot into an opening day loss, uh, for understandable reasons, right? It's our only data point so far. It's, it's understandable to maybe be, mm-hmm. Concern. Not again, like we can say right off the jump that there was a lot not good, especially in the first half, especially in the first half. We're going to touch on all of it. But our main theme for the show today is don't panic. Don't don't panic about a, a road loss to uh, probably the best team in the league. I, I can't look around and see one better right now. Definitely, definitely the best team in the league right now, especially just because they have so much mm-hmm. cohesion on that team, which I just thought came into full focus in the game. I, I thought that was kind of the defining characteristic of the game was one team mm-hmm. that's been playing together forever and one team that's trying to integrate two new center backs and a new central midfielder. And I thought that that's kind of where a lot of the breakdowns were happening, especially with Atlanta in possession, trying to build up the play. Well, Joe Patrick, at the very least, the good news is we have a pretty strong team here at five stripe final. Dot com. Uh, lots of good stuff going up on com this week. Go ahead and check that out. Please, 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 please. If you haven't already, we have gotten an incredible response so far. So you will be joining a very large and growing community. Uh, I would put it yeah. that way. It's been excellent. Yeah. Uh, we want to yeah. thank Kurt Castle as well for the intro. The song is Chances. Thanks, you can Kurt. check out Kurt's new music wherever you find music. He's got a new single out. Uh, no, relatively new. He's got a newish single out. Uh, pretty good. Go check that out uh, wherever you can find music. Thanks to the f- good folks at Lucid FC, Jeff Patrick, uh, for providing uh, an experiential, to say the least, uh, partnership with us over the last <laughs> few years. Um, for and, sure. Yeah. Joe, anything else we need to add before we move on to uh, kind of a therapy session? No, I think while we're here, uh, I would just say um, I was at the Sweetwater Brewery uh, for the block party thing that they held for the game, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was awesome. It was great to see all the people out. It was packed. Like, you couldn't even get in. Like, you couldn't even just walk up and get in. You had, because they were at maximum capacity. Um, got to hang out with a listener for a while, some random guy in section 136. Uh, I don't want to say your actual name here because I don't want to out you, but uh, it was good to meet you and hang out and talk. And uh, yeah, it was just a bunch of people having a good time. It was. It reminded me a lot of when you and I were at a brewery uh, to watch Atlanta get destroyed for nothing by the Houston Dynamo mm-hmm. in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then do record maybe the first five-stripe final in my car. Yeah, the first ever game? from your car. Yeah. yeah, look at us now. Yeah. Look at us now. Yeah, big perk of the Discord, by the way. We will not dox you, probably. <laughs> Good stuff. Good I only stuff. know his first name anyway, so. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you had a friend to uh, suffer through that with yeah. Joe Patrick. Uh, one of them lost to... The Columbus crew, uh, there are a few things we need to touch on. But first, I do want to lay a few things 
out that should frame the rest of our conversation. Joe Patrick, 14 MLS games, uh, 15 MLS games. If you want to count the Wednesday match between RSL and Inter Miami over the first week. Okay, 15. How many road wins for MLS teams? How many? Oh, I'm I'm, I'm taking guess. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I didn't. I wasn't, wasn't even paying attention to the setup. Great. Good. Good <laughs> podcast. What a good show. <laughs> Joe Patrick, there are 15 MLS games over the first week of competition. Oh, oh. The, okay, how, that, many how many MLS teams won on the road? Mm, was there, I think there was, I think I saw this. Was there one? Was it one road win? One. One whole team. The only team to lose at home was an atrocious Austin team. That's it. That's it. Uh, Joe Patrick. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. You're right. Atrocious <laughs> uh, Austin wins yeah. wins on the road uh, to open the season. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. They, they lost. They lost. Or, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Austin, okay. Austin then that makes lost. Sense. Okay. Yes. That makes sense uh, they are not good at soccer. Uh, Columbus are good at soccer. If yeah. that helps you kind of figure out where I'm going with this. Joe, in general, last year, I did the math on this this weekend. Uh, 22% of MLS teams won on the road. Last year, 22%. It was something like 109 wins over 416 games or something like that, right? It is real goddamn hard to get much of anything on the road, uh, much less when you're going up against the reigning MLS Cup champs who had a ton of continuity. The only real changes to their starting lineup from MLS Cup were ones they they chose to make. They started Jason yeah. Russell Rowe. That was it. Yeah. You know, that was the only change. A whole lot of continuity, and it clearly, clearly showed in the first half i didn't even realize that and then i saw matan coming off the bench like what the what the hell <laughs> <laughs> like they, got, they, got, they got him still to come on unfair yeah no it's just how it goes you know and mls on the road is hard enough as it is but as again to go back to what we were saying earlier when atlanta is trying to break in new players it just, it's just it's just hard and i honestly again this is gonna sound like this is going to sound crazy, but like I, I just thought that they did well to have the score where it was. And the fact that they had actually a couple of chances at the end of that game to potentially have like a smash and grab draw out of it. Um, that's about as much as I could have expected. What it, we both were in agreement that this team was going to lose this game <laughs> just because it's <laughs> histo like just historically speaking, the odds were not in their favor whatsoever. And I think that what we actually saw, you know, we'll obviously talk about some of the things were legitimately concerning in terms of the um, the qualitative takeaways but in terms of just the you know how how the result ended up with the score it was fine i mean it, like it was it was about i think what anyone could have expected yeah no we'll touch on a few of the things that went wrong for sure but you kind of have to keep in mind again that in addition to playing a lot of guys for the first time together you also had tiago almada coming off a, a pretty non-existent preseason with this team that right showed, he arrives yeah. this week and it showed in a big Big way. Tiago Amada took 16.6% of Atlanta's touches in this game. That's kind of about normal for him. I think he was third in MLS in the percentage of his team's touches that he took last season. Clearly a, a huge focal point. He's right up there with folks like Hector Herrera, uh, folks like Carlos Yale, you know, people who really dominate the ball for their team. If he's not on, if he's just lacking sharpness, which he clearly was, then things are going to look a little clunky, right? Especially progressing the ball into the final third at the same time there were clear issues with the structure that atlanta had going up against columbus in the sense that they could not find numbers advantages and it took them a real long time to actually do it you know there, there were moments in build up where they simply just didn't have options 
And a large part of that was down to the structure that Columbus uh, put forward. It's nothing necessarily new. It's always difficult to play through uh, a team that presses as well as them, right? But there were still some things that it took Atlanta a long time to solve, in part because of, again, the, the lack of numbers of advantages they have in multiple spots uh, throughout the pitch, but also because they just were lacking cleanliness on the ball. They just weren't sharp. They were, they were giving the ball away in easy positions. They weren't holding on to the ball. They weren't being press resistant. They were maybe getting a little too antsy because of that lack of numbers of advantages. So anytime they would break through, they would get a little too vertical with it and just give the ball away instead of trying to drag Columbus around. And that led to transition moments for Columbus. That led to a, a ton of issues and buildup in particular for Atlanta. Yeah, and to me, when when it when it looks like it did, um, the way that Atlanta was just kind of not dynamically moving, not not confident, like that 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 shows you that there is a lack of cohesion because players are not wanting to move out of a spot where they might isolate a teammate or or kind of leave them in a vulnerable position. Vulnerable vulnerable position. They're trying to do the right thing, but there's just not enough kind of. Um, yeah, just like not enough jelly, not enough cohesion within the team for them to be able to do those things, knowing that their teammates will be okay. So, yeah, it was just rough. It was rough to watch, especially in those phases. And I think it just showed up in the first half. And it's why Atlanta couldn't really control the game like we know that they're capable of doing. Uh, when they were trying to build out from the back, there was just they actually should have had numbers advantages there because if you just kind of like look at it on a chalkboard, um, Columbus is playing with three at the back. You're playing with one up top. That should leave extra numbers for you in your own build-up phase to to build out. And they just weren't able to ex- ex- exploit any of those opportunities. And so um, I think that will get better. Again, I think Almada, his role um, plays into that. I thought it was interesting to look at some of these some of these numbers. I don't think it's a necessarily a, a super important stat that I, I tend to look at, but. Um, or it's actually not one I've seen, but it's on Fatma now on, on their app, passes into the final third. And Schlies has three, Muyumba has four, Jande has three, Saba only has one, Gigi one, Wiley four, Almada 14. And that's, um, to me, uh, ind- indicating that he is, because they weren't able to build out with their back four plus their two central midfielders, he was do- having to do the more dropping and then trying to play the ball through. Ideally, you want Almada kind of up in those advanced positions where he can receive the ball in the attack and be ready to make something happen with it. And that's just those opportunities didn't really present themselves for Atlanta. Yeah. And even when he got on the ball in those positions, especially in the first half, he had trouble recognizing when to get the ball off his feet. There was kind of a lot of dribbling into alleys. There were moments where he had opportunities to swing the ball wide and really kind of exploit the space and behind Columbus's wingbacks that, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. You're, you're kind of watching it and you're waiting for him to go out wide to, to Saba or just swing it to Brooks or, or something like that, right? Something that could drag Columbus out of position. And he didn't necessarily see it or didn't see it quick enough for it to matter. Uh, that got better in the second half. A lot of their buildup got better. Part of that, and I think we both kind of noticed this, Joe, is that Columbus just didn't have the same level of fitness as Atlanta mm-hmm. United, uh, there's a direct explanation for that. Uh, they didn't have as long a preseason because of MLS Cup. Uh, they had two less weeks, right? Oh, right. Um, so they, they had all that yeah. continuity, but they didn't have all of the fitness, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. That was somewhat of the trade-off here, right? Uh, but Atlanta did start to exploit that a little more, but they were also just cleaner on the ball. And they also began to understand the more effective pattern of play to advance the ball into the final third. They really kind of started to build 
you can just imagine with me for a moment. If you go out right in your own third, you come in to the middle third and then back out. Right. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you think about the way Columbus sets up and essentially a three, four, three, the numbers advantages when you're trying to build up are in those spaces. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Everyone there. Everyone, we might need a tactic board, tactics board for this the, one. It's it's the WM from. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Shout out Jonathan Wilson. Um, look, it uh, got better, though, because they began to e- exploit spaces on the wings. And when they were able to be a little more horizontal in their build up, a little more diagonal and how they were entering the middle third. Right. That's when they were able to have two, three guys uh, in the middle. Uh, able to work around Morris and Nagby and then swing it back out again, exploit the space behind the wingbacks for Columbus, make things happen. And that's where you saw a lot of Atlanta's best chances come uh, throughout that second half. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I know this is not obviously not in the Columbus crew podcast, but like, I just love watching them play because Wilfred Nancy, his teams are set up so well. He's got them so well drilled. Honestly, I've spent in the first half, almost less like frustrated with Atlanta and just more impressed with what Columbus was doing, the <laughs> yeah. way they were able to d- kind of deny entry like passes that they knew that Atlanta wanted to make, like especially um, trying to not let Mayumba like receive the ball in, in much space in the mm-hmm. middle. What Nancy's teams have always done. And I was talking with uh, our listener who uh, I was we're talking with the, with him about this at Sweetwater. Um, he seems to like build a shell around the team. It's like you have the your your three up top, your three at the, your three center backs, and then your two wide guys, and those guys are like form a a perimeter. And then you've got two central midfielders right in the middle, and those mm-hmm. two players have to be really good. But he tended to prioritize those players when he was both at Montreal and now here at Columbus with players like Nagby and Morris, and um, it just makes them extremely, extremely solid. Like, that's why you don't see Columbus, like, really get the brakes beat off them much ever. Um, They're just really well drilled, and it was just really impressive to watch them just really nullify the things that they knew Atlanta wanted to try to accomplish, especially to open that game in the first half. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's not to say they don't give up goals. They do. But that's yeah, largely yeah. because of the, the structure allows them to be very brave and the off ball runs that they make. They are constantly mm-hmm. getting numbers forward in a way that asked a ton of questions of Atlanta over and over again. We talked about it a bit. If you subscribe to FiveStrikeFinal.com, you knew this going in that Columbus will often get a line of five up top, right? When, when they're in the final third uh, and Atlanta sets up in well, it was basically a four, four, two mid block for the most part throughout the day um, and had trouble at the very beginning of the game transitioning into their own line of five to defend the wings. Right. And and so when they had that line of four, the two banks of four, right. Um, In the midfield and at the back, there was a lot of space to exploit when they Mm -hmm. try started to move ball side. And so what you Mm -hmm. saw was Columbus start to make these really big switches, you know, and the first Mm -hmm. goal comes off that. It's like a, Mm -hmm. it's pretty much a touchline to touchline switch that Mm -hmm. pulls Brooks out, right? Brooks probably goes out a little too early on the goal. It's a tough call to make at that point. Um, and at that point, you have uh, someone coming from the second level. Saba doesn't track him as well as he should. Gregerson probably doesn't get out as quick as he should. And there you go. Goal, right? Kucho's open to the back post. Um, mm-hmm. It was really, really well done. Asked a ton of questions. And again, it's just so impressive to watch them be so consistently unafraid of getting forward and moving off the ball and making those one-two movements and just bothering the hell out of every single defender Atlanta had 
Yeah, the cohesion really – like the difference shows up in these two teams, and it's almost nice to have have gone against the Columbus crew specifically for for this reason to kind of contrast them with what Atlanta was showing. And, you know, it's also just amazing to me, Cucho, Cucho Hernandez just floating all around the field. It's like you, yeah. you couldn't ever pinpoint where he was going to be on that goal. He's kind of out by the sideline um, – basically just kind of like drawing attention to him and, and Atlanta's entire team was coming that way because of it. Then you talked about it. They made the switch. They play the ball through. I forget to who the guy was, who they played the ball into, but um, then he gets the cross cross in. And then Cucho's right on the back post there, which funny enough, he's the one who scores the goal, even though he wasn't really involved in uh, the, the, the buildup play per se, but he is, his attention was um, important in, in that. And um but their entire front three and Derek Williams talked about this. I was listening to um, Doug Roberson's podcast where he had some of the sound from the locker room. Some of these guys, that's uh, very much worth going to listen to uh, again, that Southern fried soccer. And uh, I think Derek Williams is going to be really good to, to hear from over the course of the season. Cause he really does break down these things and talking about how the Columbus forwards, the wide, I would call them like wide forwards were, were dropping off a lot deeper than maybe they anticipated or what they had practiced against before. And so they weren't really sure or exactly how to handle that and I think that that those exact kind of, that exact kind of moment is the way that Columbus ended up scoring on them that's a clever way to exploit a team with two Nisar backs in a new set exactly yeah totally mm-hmm. I immediately kind of instill that confusion and cause some problems that being said I want to give a lot of props to the two center backs in particular and to mm-hmm. the team generally as a whole there were a lot of moments where Columbus yeah they they did columbus things they had transition opportunities they had numbers advantages but in general the team resettled and got reorganized really quickly and really effectively i thought in a lot of ways there were moments where of course they had to scramble and make things happen uh, but that's just kind of the nature of the game model and how you're gonna have to be sometimes when you play the way atlanta does Uh, in general though i became away really optimistic about the direction the back line is heading because I thought Steon was really effective. I thought he had flashes of all of the physical skill set that we talked about uh, leading mm-hmm. up into this, that we thought, you know what, if he, that physical skill set translates on the field, then he's a potential defender of the year candidate. I thought he showed flashes of that. Uh, I thought Derek Williams was active. I thought he was engaged. I thought Lisa Brom would have died in this game. Yeah. I, yeah, thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he did a relatively nice draft and build up. There were some issues. We'll talk about those in a second, but I think those were also maybe structural. Uh, I have some complaints about a particular uh, build out phase that makes me mad. We're going to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, overall, very, very happy with what the center backs did in this one and how the defense got organized and attacked the ball in their own box. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think Steon was everything that you would have hoped he would be um, coming into this game. Unfortunately, he, you know, he, he commits a penalty, but it really wasn't his fault. He was doing everything he could. And, you know, it's just one of those things that happens when, you know, other players get beat. Um, and we couldn't really even see exactly what happened too well on that yeah. buildup because they were showing a replay. So um, can't really talk about it too much. But uh, the other thing to me, Sam, to your point, like I feel like Derek Williams kind of cemented himself as the the starter mm-hmm. if he if he wasn't just by the fact that he got selected i thought that the way he played in this game was was really really solid next to next to gregerson and and again it, it kind of brings me back to the point of like not being upset about this result and actually kind of seeing the bright side of it is like i i think atlanta united 
last year gets destroyed in, in, in this if in the same kind of setup because I think they're way weaker at that other center back spot and I think that um maybe I, 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 this kind of brings me to Sleesh who I actually thought played really poorly when I was first watching it there when on rewatch mm-hmm. I didn't think it was so bad and I think that my main takeaway was I feel like if he's not there if you replace him with Mateo Suzetto this team's given up three goals <laughs> because I just thought that he brought a little bit like solidity he needed. He was definitely wasn't perfect, and he was and he ha- did have at least a couple really bad giveaways. One of them that led directly to a chance, but I just thought that um it was solid. It, it was just promising for opening kind of glimpse of what these new players can bring to the team. Yeah, every now and then he was having to make decisions in an organized low block, uh, whether or not to like kind of join the back five they were making or. Uh, kind of stay in front of it but in general I thought he did a good job kind of positioning himself uh, defensively he did a really nice job tracking back a few times now admittedly one of those times was after a terrible giveaway in the middle of the field but he did track back he had the the physical ability to do so which I mean has been a rarity for Atlanta United midfielders for a long time Um, it had some better moments in possession in the second half especially he is Pretty much what we thought he was as far as an on-ball midfielder. He progresses the ball a lot. He's looking to progress the ball a lot. He gets the ball off his feet quickly. But he had moments where he maybe didn't check his shoulder and and got blown up, right? Mm -hmm. You know, someone plays him kind of like a hospital ball, you know. But you have to check your shoulder. You have to get big there and and hold off a defender and and make something happen, especially when you have options to play the ball back quickly or or maybe even take a touch and turn and, and spread the ball wide like that's that's something that comes with time like you've got to adjust to (laughs) this is going to sound fun uh the speed of mls which is a good (laughs) soccer league now i don't know if y'all realize this um it's tough it's tough for new players to come in especially when you're maybe not expecting it i'll also say he looked lost positionally for a little bit uh, especially in the first part of the game i didn't like a lot of the spaces he was getting into he was actively attempting to find space a lot of the time which is good but still didn't look completely confident when he did get into those spaces um those are things that'll come with time i think i'm really excited about his ability to progress the ball both with passing and with just getting forward with the ball at his feet he had a couple of really good moments one in particular he he gets forward and basically tried to play in tiago almada and then make a run into the top of the box almada completely just missed him he was open at the top of the box it could have been mm-hmm. a huge opportunity but to see a six for Atlanta united making that kind of play after carrying the ball forward like that really encouraging in addition to all the defensive stuff he did well he had a nice chip ball uh over the top to brooks lennon too Mm -hmm. who was in on goal brooks was just barely offside but you know that same phase he could very well be onside and create a chance made that decision very quickly too you can kind of see him check to see if there's the little you know hasetu outlet side to side which is fine you have to make those passes Mm -hmm. sometime but recognized it very quickly that brooks was making that run and gave it a shot and i mm-hmm. think that's something he'll need to do going forward to to keep uh the defenses on their toes and everything like that but it adds an extra element to what atlanta mm-hmm. and i can do out of midfield mm-hmm. something else that was bothering me sam in this game and i, I just want to get your thoughts on it we haven't talked about it at all but um was the use of of yorgos yakimakis and great call he like I felt like an idea in, in an ideal world, you can play the ball to his feet and he can then play it back and bring others into game. And then you can start to try to you, you really build up in the final third in possession. But we we've talked about it before. That's not like he's not the best at that. His, like his touch doesn't always allow for the team to reliably play that way. Um, but he's also not like a speedster. 
um, who's going to like get in behind and you just play him through. And so in games like this, sometimes I'm just like, okay, like, uh, like how how do you get the best out of out of Gigi in a game like this? Because it feels like clearly, I think the team signed him with the idea of we're a team that likes to possess the ball a lot. We're a team that's going to have the ball in the opponent's final third in possession a lot. And that's where he can use his, that physicality to just poach goals, whether that's using his physicality or um, being able to just, you know, whack a bouncing ball in the box um, in. And I just, you know, it, it just just didn't seem to fit with him in this game. And I, and I don't really kind of know how to how to talk about it other than just kind of diagnosing. It. I don't know the solution, to it, but it just frustrated me during the game. It's a great pickup, and I'm glad we both picked up on it on a rewatch because I've noticed the same thing. There were a lot of moments where Atlanta was kind of looking at him to be uh, almost a backboard, you know, and build yeah. up, uh, coming back, coming his back to goal and, and playing off him, and it never, I don't think there was one moment where it really worked, you know. Um, it, it's just not his game. And it does bring up this kind of idea of like, oh, man, it's really, really tough to be that super dominant team in MLS because there is so much parity at times. You know, you can only spend so much time in the opposing team's third because you don't have the huge disparities that you have in other leagues. Right. And there's like a really, really broad discussion to have about whether positional play Man City kind of stuff actually works in MLS. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But totally. (laughs) uh, That's not the discussion to have today. Um, (laughs) The discussion to have today is that Gigi is an MLS player. You know, and there are always flaws with MLS players. It's the trade off. You know, um, so you're right. I, I don't know how to get the best out of them and hold up. And I'm not sure anyone is really going to do that necessarily. In the end, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because he's going to get you 20 goals a year. But yeah, in games like this, it, it's going to be a little bit of an issue. Yeah. So that sucks. <laughs> what else? You know what else sucks, Joe Patrick? I want to I want to yell about something real quick. OK. OK. When I do my rewatch, I'm, I'm using a cheat sheet that I'm going to post in the discord, which you can see. On fivestartfinal.com, I take all my notes there. I kind of look at certain aspects of the game and try to use my my tiny soccer brain. I try to implement it into someone else's big soccer brain format that they've made for me. Okay, and one of the things that I, I try to keep an eye on is build-up patterns, uh, especially. Um, you can tell kind of what the plan is for build-up patterns out of goal kicks in particular sometimes, right? It's building out of the back, um, and goal kicks kind of give it a, a certain structure when they try to do it, right? Atlanta has done this a few times in preseason, and I've seen other teams in Europe do it. In particular, I remember Manchester United doing this against Liverpool. But the idea is essentially off a goal kick to form a line of three with the goalkeeper in the center and the center backs out wide, basically on the edge of the the six yard box. Okay, and you kind of just like lazily kick it to one of the sides and then you lose the ball. Like that seems to be the whole plan is to just lose the ball because the structure of it is incredibly dumb. It's just I I can't process it because what it does, Joe Patrick, it lets the defense get organized and then activates the defense's pressing trigger immediately. So not only do they get to press you in a place where you're already pinned down by the inline, they get to organize and press you. Yeah. (laughs) And it's. Like the gamble here, right? The, the idea in, in people's brains, I think, is that like, okay, you can build out and you can beat it. Once they press you, they have numbers of advantage issues elsewhere, you know, because you've beaten the press. The problem is mm-hmm. you have MLS players and they're not going to be that great all the time at it. You know, it, it's a pretty big risk. And even Premier League 
teams, like the time Manchester United did it against Liverpool a whole bunch, that didn't work. It still seemed yeah. dumb then too, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm being I'm being a little overdramatic here, um, but it was a structural thing I noticed. I hope they kind of look back at that and say, okay, this led to Joe Patrick. It led to like three or four giveaways that were pretty miserable and directly led the chances for Columbus. There's a sequence where they do it once. Derek Williams immediately gives the ball back to Columbus right in the center of the 18 yard box and they miss a pretty high quality chance, you know, and then they go back to the goal kick and do the same exact thing and give the ball away again. (laughs) It's a, it's a weird pattern of play and I get the idea, but I didn't like it. And that's the end of my rant. I don't really like get the idea. Well, I mean, like I just feel like anytime I see that getting set up, I'm just, bracing myself for like you know all right this is gonna end up best case scenario is this ends up with some sort of scramble in the middle of the field where like atlanta united mm-hmm. gets a chance to win a second ball and then maybe get in, into the attack and it very rarely seems like something that when it starts like that that it like you know just progresses exactly how, how you plan it and you're going forward you know with numbers when manchester united did this against liverpool darwin nunez was literally getting into like a sprinter start at the edge of the 18, <laughs> right, yeah, ready yeah. to go after it, you know? And it's like, if you're gonna end up in a 50-50 ball anyway, because you have to boot it, because you're activating every single pressing trigger against organized defense, why yeah. not just go for the 50-50 ball forward. anyway? Like, why are yeah. we messing around with the potential of just giving them the ball in your own 18? I didn't get yeah. it, um, especially off goal kicks. There's There are moments where they actually did it in build-up where they were actually further out away from goal. They weren't pinned back as much. Uh, they weren't as close to the end line. And it did kind of work, right? Like, I see the idea. Like, you form a line of three with the goalkeeper. You can keep uh, a couple of numbers forward without having to, you know, drop a full back back or drop Bartek into that line of three with the center backs, you know? I can I can see it some. It worked one time towards the end of the game. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other times it didn't work, though. So, um, that's something to keep an eye on. We got way too in the weeds there, I think, probably. And someone <laughs> probably turned off the, the show. Uh, but you know what? It, it's our podcast. We can complain about the things we want to complain about. <laughs> Yeah, and I would say even just generally speaking, it's not that like I thought that Guzan's distribution in this game was like terrible, but it's just also not like I didn't find it to be like super effective. Um, and I don't quite know what line I'm at in terms of splitting the hairs there, but um, it just left me wanting, I guess, just the whole the whole thing. And maybe it's just maybe it's not all on Guzan and his distribution, but. I just felt like the team was generally poor when they were in deep in their own third, honestly, um, which is not an area you should be you should be poor in. But I guess if if you are, it's it would be early on in the season they can get that stuff sorted out. I do wonder though. I do wonder about Guzan because I just came away from this game relatively nonplussed. Obviously, makes a great penalty save that kept Atlanta in the game. Um, I think that he really did kind of mess with Cucho. He kind of like went one way and then and then the other. But um, but other than that, like you know. Goal wasn't his fault, but probably could have done better on it, or or a goalkeeper could do better on it potentially in that situation, just catching that. Um, and I just didn't, I just didn't think he was great. And it, and just knowing that Cohen's there makes me want to be like, mm, I wonder what he would look like in this team, you know. And, and by the way, I totally understand wanting to have Guzan in this lineup when you have two new center backs in front of him and a new, you know, six. Um, to have some consistency kind of in that spine in, in the defensive area. I think it makes total sense to keep Guzan there. But um, I just it's just lingering in my mind um, as to when we might see see Cohen get a game. And will it take, you know, some 
cat- catastrophe or something for that to happen. I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough. I, I, mean, I generally thought Guzino was pretty good in this one um, and his underlying numbers. will will show that. Right. Uh, but it's just the one game. We need a lot more data points to kind of understand where he's at this year. Um, and yeah, there's going to be the backup quarterback thing. Isn't there with Cohen? Like, there's always right. going to be <laughs> yeah. that little yeah. feeling. Well, like, what if, what, if, what if we took out Desmond Ritter? You know, what would happen then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we don't know for sure, <laughs> exactly. Right? But you're right, just kind of right. wondering. You're just kind of right. wondering. In general, you're right though. He he gets the the penalty save. He had a good save on another shot from distance from Cucho. Um, in general, was was effective. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a huge difference and and uh, building out of the back with him and Cohen. Uh, the idea with Cohen has always been shot stopping. He's the, um, yeah, so, so we'll see we'll see we'll see um those are really kind of the only two lineup issues to talk about was williams and gazan i do want to talk yeah. about maybe the subs right quick just because we have a little bit of time before we move on to questions uh jay fortune really nice cameo i thought mm-hmm. had a really mm-hmm. solid uh outing for not too many minutes but looked very confident looked progressive and looked very assured of himself that he's been getting a lot of hype in particular from dax mccarty which is a good person to get hype from this year, mm-hmm. right? So maybe we see Jay take a step forward this year. That would be a great piece to have. I was, I was actually, I was speaking to somebody at the club who um, said that Gonzalo is just a massive fan of of Jay, and I think you could see why. And I thought it was interesting that he he was, you know, one of the first names off the bench in that game. And I'm sure if they're winning, it's probably Dax who comes into that game instead. Um, the fact that they were chasing a goal, he's probably the better option, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of potential there for him. And and I like the fact that when he did come into the team last year, he was coming into like a pretty um, – he was he was like having to play a kind of a defensive role. Like he was coming in for Hazetto, I think, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Hazetto was like kind of the six at that point. I don't know if you want to call him like, you know, two eights or whatever it was last year. But, you know, he's in that double pivot, and I just, he had a lot of responsibility on him at that time. So – um, when he was able to come into a situation like he was at the end of that game where he had a little bit more freedom because they're sitting off a little bit. I thought it was good. And I thought that Tyler Wolf was good too. Um, he had some some nice touches, some nice moments. The Tiago shot that probably yeah. is going in if, if Amundsen yeah. isn't in the way. There's this yeah. incredible flick from Tyler yeah. that yeah. sets up yeah. Almada. Just, I, I can barely kind of process how I did it. It looked great um, and clearly was very effective. There was a ton of confidence to pull that out, right? And yeah. I think we don't talk about it enough that Gonzalo put a lot of trust in the kids last year. Like something like I think Garth said like 9000 minutes among homegrowns last wow. year. There weren't too many teams doing that level of uh, homegrown insertion into their lineups. Right. That's like yeah. Red Bulls-esque. That's Philadelphia-esque. That's, that's FC Dallas. And I think Atlanta has been a club probably unfairly derided for their ability to develop talent out of their academy i hear that from national folks sometimes it doesn't really click with me considering uh wiley bello campbell uh folks like that you know um there have been misses but Mm. in general gonzalo seems willing to put a lot of faith in these kids and there's clearly some confidence building there i think jay started that playoff game last year was that maybe the right call to to win that game that time i think we fought about that a lot when it happened uh but it does prove that there's a lot of faith in them and that builds confidence and you see it with uh, teams around the world. When you, when you put some faith in these guys, they normally respond pretty well to it. Wilfred Nance is a great example of this. Just putting kids like Jason Russell Rowe in, you know, to, to make something happen and doing pretty well because they have that confidence that the, the manager trusts them. So mm-hmm. and, I think we and can I see some think, really good things. I, and, 
Yeah, and I think because of this trust like, and the fact that they've gotten these opportunities, I don't think they think of themselves as a young academy kid who's like trying to prove themselves. Like, I think they think of themselves as just like, you know, legitimate member of the team who's fighting for a first team spot like everybody else, which is which is what you want, obviously. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was good cameos from them. and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing more. And if they continue to put in shifts like that, I know it was pretty short for both of them. I don't want to make too much of it, but like, you know, they, they'll they'll fight for opportunities, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes back to something we saw at the beginning of preseason as well. The academy kids and the twos spent a lot of time with the first team in preseason. Like eventually they've separated and everything and now the twos are doing their own thing and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the kids were competing right with the first team. They're right there with Gigi. They're right there with Almada. And that's a, a cultural thing that builds up over time to kind of have that connection, uh, to kind of have those experiences that, that make you more confident in yourself and, and give you a chance to learn. Uh, it's very Seattle. Seattle has done this for forever. Um, and I think that's one of those things that pays off in the long run. So something to be optimistic about at the very least. I've heard that from a couple of folks. I've heard that from Dax, right? Uh, lots of good little things there, even mm-hmm. if the overall product on Saturday was a, a total bummer. Mm-hmm. For sure. You want to do some uh, listener questions? Let's do it. We're going to head over to fivestripefinal.com. If you want to ask some questions and listen to the second half of the show, all you have to do Join us over there for $7 a month. 10% of our profits are going towards soccer and the streets. We'd really like to have you over there and joining a ever-growing and rapidly expanding Atlanta United community. Yeah, and one thing about if you if you sign up a five stripe final, you can actually get an uh, just add the RSS feed of all of the premium podcasts that we do into whatever podcast catcher you use. So you will only get you will only get in that feed this podcast, including the full show with the listener questions, plus any other podcast that we do that's for our subscribers. So um, it fits really seamlessly right into your other podcast. You don't have to. It's not a bunch of setup. Literally, it's all just a, it's just a copy and paste job that uh, you do on your phone. So um, it's easy to listen to. And I uh, am looking forward to our first batch of listener questions from the uh, 2024 season. Joe, let's go there now. <laughs> 